the fact of the matter is, is yesterday, and, and maybe this season, but certainly yesterday, Florida had the better football team, the better prepared football team, and the better coached football team. And probably the better coached football team hurts me most to say. Georgia falls to Florida for the first time since Kirby Smart's first season as head coach in 2016. And the questions now are, where does this team go from here? Clearly, the dogs are all but finished for the SEC East Championship. And clearly, there are many deficiencies on offense. And clearly, there are a ton of injuries on defense. So, where does Georgia go from here? The three of us try to answer these questions and more on this postgame podcast. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you're listening to episode 253 of the Wayne Since Last Saturday podcast. This is the Sunday show, so I'm joined via Zoom by my two co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller. And as always, we appreciate you tuning us in today, and let's just jump on into it. Here's Will to kick us off. The good thing that we can say about uh, Georgia's 44-28 loss to Florida is that it did not take three days, so we've got that going for us. But uh, other than that, it certainly felt like it took three days at a certain point. Lots of questions. The good news is there was not half a hundy. Yeah. So we got we can hang on to that. Uh, certainly could have been, but it wasn't. Uh, but, you know, Tony, uh, I think we should go straight to you because uh, the concerns that we had uh, certainly seemed to bear out. Yeah. And, and let me preface this by saying um, that – Everyone wants to talk about the quarterback and the offense, and we should. Offense did give up 44 points, and I think part of that was exactly the concern I had. We missed Rochester and Carter in the middle. We did not get a lot of pressure on Trask, and when we did, it was usually on you know, plays where they were able to accommodate. We were able to accommodate them with a wheel route the next play, which gets to not having LeCount in there. Not having LeCount was awful. It was hard. We were not prepared for the wheel route. We knew that Pitts was going to get his catches, and him going out um, really didn't flip the script in a way that I thought it might. might have kept them from getting 50, but um, it didn't flip the script the way I thought it might have. And I, by no means am I happy he got hurt. Um, and that absolutely was a targeting. And, I mean, I don't think Scene was trying to hurt anybody. I just think it was a bang-bang play that happens over the middle in football. You know, if you don't call that, there's nothing to call. Yeah, what are you going to call? I don't think I don't think he did it on purpose, but I mean, that's obviously you have to call that. Yeah, of course. Um, but the offense, we obviously have a lot of time to talk about the quarterback, or we have a lot of quarterback talk to have. I and I'm not blaming Monken, I'm not blaming Smart. I, I don't. It feels so weird to me that we came out in three tight end set, first play of the game, ran the ball for 75 yards untouched and then didn't really run the football again in the first half. It just, it made no sense to me. Um, and I don't know whether, I mean, we didn't even show that look again to give the impression that we might, you know, just, it, it's baffling. Um, look, I, I, pre- I picked Georgia to lose and um, I thought the game would have been closer and it probably could have been had we had our defensive players in there and maybe even, uh, make a difference if you don't have the injuries you have on that second touchdown. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is yesterday and, and maybe this season, but certainly yesterday, Florida had the better football team, the better prepared football team and the better coached football team. And probably the better coach football team hurts me most to say. 
you know, we went to a, a friend's house to watch the game. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to know that I've raised uh, my boys to watch football. They, they could play or could ride bikes or do whatever, but they sit there and they're locked in. And uh, after the game, we were driving home. It was quiet, you know, as you would kind of uh, assume in about, I don't know, 30 seconds into the drive, nobody had said anything. And then Walker, my uh, 12-year-old, was sitting in the way back, of the, the third row of my forerunner, and uh, just unprompted says out loud, Georgia is annoying to watch. <laughs> and, you know, I sit there and I'm sitting there thinking nobody responded. I'm kind of saying, okay, he's got a point there. And then about 15 seconds later, he says, I'm not even sure if Justin Fields was here, he'd be as good as he is at Ohio State. And again, I didn't respond to him because I was like, you know, he's, he might have a point there. I don't know. So the illustration I give is that, I mean, it trickles down to everybody. You know, we feel it. And even the young Georgia fans feel it. As you look at, and I know Tony kind of started on defense. I'm going to start on offense because the the quarterback thing is what a lot of ink is going to be spilled on. And rightfully so, because uh, Bennett, you know, was obviously pedestrian, if not pretty bad. Uh, his QBR is, was 31. And then Mathis comes in uh, a, a changeup pace, potentially. Yeah, he throws a touchdown pass, you know, on an 80-yard drive. But his QBR was 18.3. I had to look up what QBR was. It's a statistic that ESPN <laughs> in 2011, uh, and it's a fine statistic. I can't do the math on it, but basically, I don't think you can do the math. I think it's proprietary. That's why people don't like it because it's they, impossible. It's not, it's not open source, right? They right. gave a they gave a, a formula, but it it was Greek to me. But basically, what it does, it represents a true middle, so to speak. It's a zero to 100 scale, and 50 represents the middle. The nearer the quarterback is to 100, the more elite he should be. And when you look at 31 is our starting quarterback and 18 is our, uh, the guy that came in, I'm not even see backup, but the guy that came in compared to Kyle Trask, who was 97.4. That shows you right there that uh, the, the talent gap at quarterback this year, you know, and we could harp on the whole Jamie Newman thing. We'll never know. Jamie Newman, we, we barely knew you. But the offense inability to come back from 13 points down, where most Georgia fans are watching that thinking like we got no chance. Um, was definitely a, a red flag. It continues to be a red flag to me. Yeah, and it's not like this Florida defense is really great, right? Right. I mean, right. I think that's that's one of the things about it. But I think it goes back to your thing, Tony. I mean, we know there are questions at the quarterback. We knew going into this game there were questions at the quarterback. But you know, you read the, literally the first play of the game, you ran 80 plus <laughs> 75 yards on the touchdown. Uh, the, the, the way the offense is set up right now is – it feels like it's it's one foot in, one foot out, right? Like it feels like like the right way the right way for this team to play right now is probably like a heavy run game, heavy man balls. But like Munkin wasn't brought in to do that, so they're kind of in this, and and they also don't have a quarterback that can really one run either one. So they're in this weird middle ground where like. Like what was interesting is that like we talked about like man if they play like they did against Kentucky it's gonna they're gonna have to be perfect they didn't even try to play like they did against Kentucky like that's what was so weird about it is like there's an argument to be made to be like you know what boring it up boring it up a little bit and run the ball and hold it and they didn't do that and they didn't do that when they got a lead by the way they had a fourteen zero lead which to me if you had told me going in George is gonna fourteen zero lead I'm like awesome play the Kentucky game. 
This was a perfect time to play the Kentucky game. The fact that they didn't do that shows, listen, Tom Munkin is not stupid. Kirby Smart is not stupid, but it's clear they're not on the same page. So there's some sort of disconnect and maybe it's because they just don't have a good quarterback right now. That's very possible, but something is wrong. And it seems like even when they get something working, they don't trust it. And it just doesn't feel like, again, this is a team that could have given up half a hundred. But the defense looked better in the second half. I don't think I think it's undeniable that some sort of adjustment was made at halftime to where the defense was better, and the offense was still in a spot where it could have come back in this game. Florida's defense could have been had. There were throws that could have been made. There were holes that could have been run through. Georgia just didn't take advantage of it. And I think that's why I think you're right, Scott. The defense gave up <clears> a lot of points, but in the second half, the defense played the way that I would expect the Georgia defense to play. Georgia just missed opportunity after opportunity, opportunity in a way that was bewildering, confusing, and obviously concerning. Yeah. And the part about it that is hard to figure, going back to my point, when Florida scored their first touchdown and made it 14 to seven, here's our play script. James Cook rush up the middle for three yards. Sideline pass incomplete. And then we take a sack on another pass. Okay. Sure. Florida comes back and ties the game. Here are the three plays. And this is when Mathis comes in because of whatever happened with Bennett's shoulder and that, that touchdown pass. Burton rushed on that toss sweep. We ran exactly the same play to the other side. And then we ran a screenplay. I, I, I mean, I, I, on one hand, I get it. On the other hand, you, why are you trying to, I mean, I mean, Mathis can run the handoff to Zamir White outside the same way Bennett can. I don't, I don't understand why you call that play. Even if you look, if you send in the, new, the fresh quarterback, and everybody knows you're going to run the football, if you put triple tight ends out there, you have a mismatch somewhere. Even if you're only getting four yards, it doesn't have to go for seventy-five yards every time. And I think you're right. Well, I think the, the defense did play. Um, some better in the second half, although the little route was still there a bunch. We got to get us one of them real real route things. Um, it was one of those days where, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure after Florida tied it after the two tall sweeps, I was like, God, we're going to lose this game. And I, you know, I, I could, I mean, I didn't think it would go quite as right as quickly as it did. Um, like they outplayed us in all three phases. Their defense was better than our defense. Their offense was better than our offense. Their special teams were better than our special teams. If you know, you have Kamara come out and runs a sixty-five day. yarder. Right, he comes and hits a sixty-five yarder inside the five-yard line, and then he shanks two when you need him to pin Florida deep. And it's, I mean, you know, when you're trying to hang your hat on the punter doing his job extraordinarily well, all American level, yeah, I don't know that we need to have a conversation about playing an SEC championship game. Yeah. Um, now, which gets us to probably the point that we'll, we'll talk about next we got four games left to regular season and there's some stuff to talk about, about going forward, which I'm sure we will in this week's Missouri podcast. But I, we, I think we saw the end of the mailman era at Georgia. Uh, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. I agree with that. I, I, there was a couple of uh, posts online about that exact same thing. And I think a lot of people are kind of feeling that, um, you know, I think the the thing that troubles me when going back to the quarterbacks is just that absolute lack of accuracy the overthrows. I mean, Tony and Will, I mean, we're on the text thread and everything. And, and even saying this on the podcast, you hit one or two of those passes, not missing all six or seven. 
it's and it was both quarterbacks. It wasn't just Bennett. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It was both of them. And the receivers were getting open. Uh, Kears Jackson was open. Um, Burton was open. You know, I, I know that uh, Fitzpatrick dropped a would-be 35-yard game. He might still be running. Um, the fact that I watched Miami play NC State on Friday night. Miami was down by 10 points. And Derek King transferred from Houston, which we would have gotten him. He leads them on two field goals and a touchdown in the fourth quarter. USC, first game action of the year, playing at 9 a.m. Pacific time. We're down two touchdowns with three minutes to go. Scored two touchdowns and beat Arizona State 28-27. And that's where I go back to my first statement. We're down that same amount and had the whole fourth quarter. And you never had any confidence that things are about to get cooking and that Georgia was going to come back. And that's, that's the problem. Does the quarterback confidence, if I feel it, I know the team feels it, and I know the coaching staff feels it. And I'm, look, I know they're trying to work on it. Obviously, they don't want that to happen. But uh, it is what it is. There, there was just no feeling of, uh, that Georgia was going to come back in that game yesterday. Yeah, I think there's a sense too, and I think you've. You saw, I think Jeff Schultz wrote about wrote about this. This feels like like a, you're going to have a fluke loss like South Carolina, right? Where you're clearly the better team, and everything just kind of lands. Like it was a frustrating game, obviously, but I don't think anybody came away from the loss to South Carolina last year thinking, "Wow, has Muschamp passed us?" Like nobody thought that. Like right. it was a game that went wrong, but uh, but no one thought that there was a trouble. But other than that, really, since this has gotten going. Uh, they have not had a loss to a team where you're like, wow, this team is just obviously better than Georgia, except for the Alabama losses and the LSU game last year. Yes? Maybe Auburn in 2017, the first Auburn game? Yeah, yeah, but that, yeah, that was a road game. But then they just went and beat them two weeks later. Right, so, right. like, you know, I feel like that, 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 had, that, that I would say that argumentally was probably closer to South Carolina. They, I mean, obviously, Auburn's better than South Carolina, but that, yeah. that's a game where things just kind of get rolling downhill. Whereas this, this is the first time I can remember, other than the LSU game last year, where, Tony, as you talked about, in the, you're in the first half, you're like, oh, this game's over. Like, I don't yeah. remember the, like, that is a yeah. very rare, rare moment as a Georgia fan. And it's a step backward. That's now, we haven't had, we didn't have one of those for three years. And it doesn't mean that Georgia can't compete with Florida or Florida has passed Georgia. But listen, man, remember the beginning of this year, there are all these people saying this is Florida. I'll remember how much, how much Georgia fans were mocking the SEC media for picking Florida to be first in the SEC East. And um, this was over in the first half. And it, uh, it, it, Georgia had a puncher's chance because the defense stepped up. But again, that thought, oh, Georgia's going to lose this game. And the first half is something new and something that should be very concerning. Now, it doesn't mean that we are past the point of overturn or any stretch of the imagination. But this was always the scary thing, right? Like you get really close and then you take one step back and then you take one step back. And it always felt like, listen – you know, if they get to the SEC championship game and lose, I mean, I know that people are complaining about that, but what an accomplishment, right? You just get there and you're going to be fine. They're not going there this year. And uh, I can't, I can't sell my hotel for that. We got a nice hotel for that weekend. And uh, I know it's a weird year. I know the quarterback situation was a mess, but um, uh, I, there's going to be considerable, it's going to get louder. I don't think there's any question about that. It's going to get louder. 
This podcast episode is brought to you by The Pine Bar and BottleShopAthens.com. Yeah, so Scott, I started the weekend off. Um, I thought it was going to be a great weekend. Went with some friends to uh, The Pine Bar, uh, sat outside, had a bottle of wine and a bunch of oysters. Let me tell you something. It's the same vibe as the Pueblo Main, which everyone knows I am a huge fan of, but uh, like a whole different atmosphere and aesthetic. Uh, you know, we, we went after some oysters and went, got the wood-fired oysters and had some tapas. Um, it's just you know, right there in Five Points. I ran into uh, Colin, who was a listener. He came out and was like, hey, you're – I was like, I actually am that guy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate him, him saying, hey, one other thing, Scott, I don't know if you, you noticed this. Um, Bottle Shop Athens has yes. now has a um, – like an archives pick, which is from Heaven Hill. And I, I've talked to Scott about this and, and Sachin about this. They go up to the, they basically have the relationships with the distilleries. They go up there, pick out their own barrels and have them, um, hand, they use staves to basically flavor them. And their latest archives from Heaven Hill came in and I'm gonna have to ride up there and get some because it's only like 150 or 170 bottles, right? 195 bottles. I think 192 I bottles available in the entire United States. Yeah. So talking my talking my language now. I'm also very pro pine. Uh, it is uh, right around the corner from where I am. I would say it is one of my uh, one of my two favorite places uh, businesses in Athens, along with the Four Season Total Landscaping. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm a big pine person. They do a great job outside. I am very pro pine. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, it's funny. I was sitting here thinking, Scott, it's going to be really, really, really loud <laughs> about the comparisons between Kirby and Rick and all uh, you know the whole you know, it's taking stuff backwards. And they're they're on one hand they're tiring, and I think they're inaccurate. On the other hand, they're not. You haven't done the things you have to do to not have that conversation uh, as and Kirby hasn't done those things. Um, and again, I, I you know I. I tend to find myself in the, uh, a lot of people want to point to the from and fields thing and pe- people want to talk to, well, how does Georgia get in a situation like this at quarterback? And um, those are good questions to have, but to, to essentially ignore Newman leaving and to essentially ignore other than most hindsightists saying that fields it was the wrong one to let leave Georgia. Um, it's just, it's, it's a little revisionist. Now I will say that one thing occurred to me this morning is like, as a coach, how much growing does, does Kirby need to do? And I was like, well, you know, what, what coach would have fired the, the quarterback that was clearly the quarterback, the team's quarterback and brought in a different quarterback and, truly like said, you know what? This guy has more upside. I'm going to take my lumps. And I'm like, well, damn, that's what Nick Saban did in 2017 and 18. And that's not an inaccurate way of looking at what Charlie, uh, Charlie, sorry, Kirby had my kid just walked there. I'm like, I saw him. <laughs> so Kirby has to be willing to do going forward. Right. Because Kirby did not fire from, and none of us, us on this podcast thought that was, a good eye. None of us, all, we all thought that was the right thing to do, right? Keeping from over fields. Also, let's not forget 
everybody hated Fields when, I, when they was here. Like, it's so frustrating for me to people all go yeah. back and pretend that they loved and were clamoring for Justin Fields when he were here. They didn't. They were after yeah. him all the time when he was here. So and let's I'm not, not talking that about, either. I'm not, and I'm not talking about Georgia people. I'm talking about nationally, right? Yes, um, yes, yes, because yes. that's that's really where I mean, Georgia people are going to be Georgia people. <laughs> nationally is where I'm talking. So right. I guess kind of what I'm saying here is like he has to be willing to make hard decisions that are going to make him not popular with his team or, or, or players. And look, I'm sure you saw the conversation when he was telling Stetson that Mathis was going to finish the game. I don't know if you saw, they called it, you know, you could see Bennett saying, I know, I know. And he, you know, he was like, Kirby was having the conversation with his quarterback on the side of the field. Um, and that was a, um, there was never that moment uh, with, with fields and prom for like there was for Alabama uh, and the the, um, the national championship game, and then it, you know the next year. But one of the things I think going forward, Kirby has to be willing to to do is, and I'm I'm putting aside this year because I think we had a plan and it fell apart, and there was not a backup plan, and that's that's problematic in itself. But that, I think that's a different conversation to have. Um, going forward, you have to be willing to make hard decisions about whomever your best quarterback is. And you can couch it in terms of, well, this guy gives us the best chance to win. And I agree with that. And I, I still believe that he and, and Monken are playing the hand they're dealt and are putting the guy that they think is most likely to put them in a position to win. That's something that makes me think we might see Bennett again. But if we don't, or we see Daniels, or we don't see Daniels, we just might have to be okay with being the second best team in the East because of our quarterback play. And that's a hard place to be, but that's kind of where I am today. I think you're right when you say second place in the East, because as bad as yesterday was, and we touched on at the beginning of this podcast, Georgia faces Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi state. I mean, I think they're have a combined Mm -hmm. six wins. So if Georgia doesn't finish two of those are over each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And if Georgia doesn't finish eight and two, then we're going to have more episodes like this uh, coming up and it'll be a whole lot worse. But, you know, really you, it goes, it goes back to quarterback confidence. When was the last year that Georgia fans or a, a perceived Kirby smart had quarterback confidence? I would say 2018 because it kind of eroded last year with uh, Fromm throwing under completing under 50% of his passes for so many games. And when's it coming back? It's not this year. Sure, we got a five-star Vandergriff coming in next year, but do you have complete quarterback confidence and a freshman starting quarterback? I mean, it worked in 2017, but is Lightning going to strike twice? So it could be legitimately 2022 before Georgia's offense rolls out there and we as fans are watching Georgia-Florida 2022 saying, uh, we got this. Yeah, I, I guess. So I, I really – like, obviously the quarterback play was bad. Um Tony's right, and that's kind of how we started with this. Maybe so close, but there was some confusing play calling uh, in this game. And, and, you know, it, and, I, and I'm not, you know, I know people love to go after the offensive coordinator, and I know that's that's a thing here. It's a thing everywhere. Um, but I did not entirely understand what the plan was, particularly when you went up 14-0. <laughs> like, you went up 14 like, like, that was the that was the dream scenario. Like, listen, I understand Florida got hot and scored a bunch of points. But, like, that is the time you had opportunities to take the air out of the football if you wanted to. You had the opportunities to do that. And they just didn't in a way that 
I don't know. I just, I don't, I, I feel like they are so, the quarterback situations also kind of got them in their own head uh, a little bit in a way that's not helpful either. I mean, I was kind of looking at the split stats and you, I'm just, for this, for the first half, first, first quarter, Bennett was two of four for 35 yards and a, no, how many yards it was and a touchdown. At halftime, he was four of 12 for 70 yards. And we had only run the ball at that point um, 12 times. What's, why are we running and throwing the same amount of times when we come out on the first play of the game and run the ball 75 yards? Look, I understand if you tried three straight drives and you tried different things running the ball and they're on to you. But it's, it, it is baffling. It is hard to figure out. And I don't – I can't say whether it's Munkin. I can't say whether it's Smart. I'm working on the assumption that Munkin came here and was given reins and keys to the offense. Otherwise, why would he come here? Um, and if that's the case, he has got um, – he's got to improve play scripting, play calling, and game flow management. Because uh, the plays work. I mean, Scott talked about it a minute ago. We had a lot of plays – Frankly, Bennett was finding open guys in a way he hadn't before, which is heartening. Um, he was overthrowing them, and we're dropping 15 to 30-yard passes uh, ridiculously. By the way, tight ends, that is not the way to garner uh, garner a lot of confidence in getting your number called. If you're going to – and I'm like, people drop passes, but those were egregious, especially when you have a quarterback overthrowing a lot. Hit you in the hands, you got to put the ball in your bread basket. I think Scott's right. We have – we have four teams. We can easily finish eight and two. Um, probably still be in a conversation for a, a, a New Year's Six Bowl, and that's all well and good. But I mean, I, and I definitely want to win these games, and I definitely want to remain in the conversation about uh, among the among the best teams in the nation. But we also have to use these four games to figure out not only what we have, but how we're going to play and get young guys reps. And it, I, I mean, I'm not throwaway season guy at all but the the premise that okay get to the sec championship game and see what happens is out right so you can take chances at this point and see what happens and and i'm not saying that that is kirby style at all frankly i don't think it is um i guess i'm just laying out a theory what will make me feel like the rest of the season is um it has meaning (laughs) And that, that's, I mean, it's still it's going to have meaning because I'm a Georgia football fan and I'm going to be, you know, watching the Missouri game next week and pacing the floor. But we have a lot of injuries and I've, we haven't been talking about Rosemary Jack Saint and yeah. good gracious, that was ugly. And um, yeah, although I was heartened to see him stick around uh, until the end of the game. And that's um, that's a tough dude right there. Uh, we haven't we haven't brought up pain threshold, but that guy's pain threshold. Um you know, going forward, it's just – it really is a matter of a smart monkin, but landing also has to – got to figure out what you got and, and use these four games to improve um, improve your in-game coaching and game planning coaching. I mean, I'm just uh, – the fact that you brought up uh, going to Missouri next week, I'm still just uh, thinking about the fact that Georgia hasn't played a home game since the Tennessee game and won't for another two weeks. It's yeah. just the, like we talked about this in the preseason, it doesn't matter as much this year because crowds are thinned, but to be on the road for like five straight weeks, even with an off week uh, is just crazy with the sec scheduling. Yeah. I, I just don't understand. Um, 
you know, how they're going to approach it. I mean, it could be, Hey, uh, close ranks and let's go out and, and kick some butt in the next four games, or uh, there could be some splintering. We don't know. I mean, I have a lot of faith in Kirby and the coaching staff. I agree with Will and Tony. And I think the majority of, of Georgia fans, we're not blaming the coaching staff yet. I think they are uh, dealing with, uh, you know, they're a little handcuffed this year because of everything that's happened. We don't need to go through it again. But um, I guess the final thing, and I hate to put bringing this up, but I mean, the game was yesterday. Zamir White had a 75-yard touchdown run, first play of the game. Four plays later, Jack Saint has a has a 32-yard touchdown pass. That's 107 yards total, and Georgia gets 170 yards the remainder of the game. Yeah, not great, Bob. No. No. Um, I mean, you know, like Samir, Samir finished with 107. He got 75 of those on the first yeah. one. So, I mean, he was still averaging over four per the rest of the way. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It, I, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to fathom. I mean, and one last thing, Florida just held on to the ball. I mean, you, you the defense was out there 80 plays. They had 44 game minutes of possession. Um, that is not the game script. If you're going to, play the football that we think we can play as winning football. And I'm, I'm by no means a head football coach, but last week it seemed like that's the game we want to play. Um, leaving your defense on the field 44 minutes and only getting 58 uh, plays is not the way to do that. It's almost like the, um, the reason why we did score so quickly was, you know, you always hear about coaches scripting their first 15 plays. And those plays were scripted, especially that first play. And then after the script, scripted plays went away, it's like, what do we do now? Yeah. Yeah, uh, bye. Uh, but hey, Clemson lost. Yeah, I did not stay up for that. Uh, it was a great uh, game. I, I, my wife did, and she came to me, she's like, oh, it was the greatest game. I was like, did I miss it? How about Indiana? <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, that was exciting for um, that was exciting for for folks. I had fallen out of first place in the front office pools. I'm now in second place because uh, thanks, Clemson, you ruined everything. Yes. Well, Will and I predicted Notre Dame just for what it's worth. Well, we're geniuses. Um, Clearly. All right. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll lick our wounds a little bit and uh, get back out there. And um, you know, I didn't necessarily think yesterday was all bad, but uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, certainly an unfortunate uh, uh, George ending there. So, I right, we'll talk this week. Preview Missouri, and uh, you know, be safe out there. I will confess, I am hungover, but uh, for the first time in a long time, it's not because of a Georgia game on a Sunday morning. So, uh, so we'll uh, we'll leave it at that um all right well be safe everybody and uh we'll go uh we'll go next week to uh figure out the last four games of the year also at least you're not illinois <laughs> oh, boy. on that note go dogs go dogs and thanks so much for listening make sure to stop by the pine bar in el barrio when you're dining in five points and looking for lunch or dinner places to go and head on over to the north side or west side or five points bottle shop to check out the heaven hill distillery archives picks that tony was talking about in the episode you can follow us on social media our instagram and twitter handle is at wsls podcast we'll be back in a few days with our georgia versus missouri preview show until then have a great week we'll see you on campus in a few weeks and as always Go dogs.